hello, 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 Cheesehead Hangover Packers fans. Welcome back to another week of Cheesehead Hangover, your NFL and Packers-focused podcast. My name is Garrison Anderson, and sitting across from me is my lovely sister, Sarah Anderson. Hello, people. And we are mixing it up a little bit this week. Instead of beers, we're having having some spiked tea. You're... We're having cider. We're, we're having, having cider. That's true. We're having we're having cider, and don't worry, it's spiked it very strongly, at least in my case. And so this should be an interesting podcast. But we are fully embracing fall here, in the DC metro area. It was brisk today with a with a bit of a chill in the air, um, after a summer of relentless ninety degree plus days, like yeah. thirty five in a row. Yeah, definitely. My mine's a mix. I had some apple cinnamon tea. I put some of that tea in with some apple cider and a little bit of whiskey. So uh, that's what we're going with today. Um, but we have a, a fully jam packed week of NFL football to talk about. Uh, definitely some twists and turns this week. But uh, let's get started with talking about some of these games that went on. Where do you want to start? Well, uh, let's let's knock out the NFC North a little bit here, uh, and we'll save one game for a little bit later in the segment. Um, let's start out with a, a, a quick mention of Atlanta and Chicago. Uh, we won't talk a lot about this because uh, we're going to preview Green Bay and Atlanta uh, later in the episode, uh, but... Atlanta and Chicago. Uh, Chicago starting out three and zero, coming from behind, beating the pa- Falcons thirty to twenty six. It's the Falcons' second straight week with blowing fifteen plus point leads. Uh, and one of the big stories coming out of this game is uh, the Bears uh, pulled a healthy Mitch Trubisky in favor of Nick Foles, their backup quarterback, who. Went on to throw three touchdowns and win the Bears that game for them. Yeah, and it really makes you wonder why the Bears didn't pull Trubinski earlier. Um, it's also odd because he'd won the first two games and uh, you are waiting for an opportunity to pull the guy, it really seems like. Yeah, and I mean, I really don't think Trubinski is a good quarterback. I think that whole trading up to get him as the number two pick however long ago that was now time time has become kind of squishy lately for everyone um it was just a bad move and it's like the bears don't want to admit it's a bad move but they know they know deep in their soul it is which is why they brought in nick Foles. and, and that's why, why they... when they got to the point where they were down 26 to 10 they pulled him out and put in Nick Foles, Nick or put in Nick Foles over Trubinsky because you know who else is going to score twenty points in a quarter and get I, you the W. I mean that's fair. Um, the Bear, and all of this is highlighted by the fact the Patriots signed Cam Newton for one point five million dollars. Just saying. Uh, but let's go elsewhere in the NFC North this week. Uh, the Detroit Lions defeated the Arizona Cardinals, coming back to win on a last-second field goal. Um, certainly an upset there, uh, but good to see the Lions get a win. And uh, they're one and two right now, and in third place in the division. Yeah, and you know what? I think that may save Matt Patricia's job for a couple of weeks here. Um, as sirens go by. It happens in a city. Um, but, you know, the Cardinals are a decent opponent. This is not this is not some slouch team that they, they happen to win over. Um, the Cardinals have beat the 49ers, and the 49ers have steamrolled New York. Both teams, back-to-back weeks, even if the field steamrolled their players. Um, and so this is... This is intriguing, but it kind of, you know, makes you think of the, the point that on any given Sunday, this is the NFL and nothing you should take nothing for granted. And, and it, you know, it's good. The Lions could eke out a win here. And more importantly, the Minnesota Vikings are still 0-3. They're still 0-3 and we will talk about them later. Um, so uh, elsewhere around the league, we had some interesting games. Uh, one interesting stat came out of the Steelers beating the Texans 28 to 21. Uh, the Texans had a rough go of it to the start of this year in terms of opponents having the Kansas City Chiefs, the Baltimore Ravens, and the Pittsburgh Steelers to start the season. 
all teams which might be the top three seeds in the AFC. On the bright side, they get to play Minnesota this week if Minnesota plays. Exactly. Uh, however, the interesting stat coming out of this game is that since 1980, only six teams have made the playoffs starting 0-3. Last team to do so, oddly enough, was the 2018 Houston Texans. Um, so next week, there's going to be the matchup of the 0-3 Texans versus the 0-3 Vikings. Uh, and truthfully, whatever team loses that game you might have to start the conversation of uh, uh, tanking just to go just to go for it. If you're 0 on 4, you're a quarter of the way there already. Yeah, and it really makes you wonder uh, with Minnesota was w- you, they had set themselves up to take such a cap hit this year, which is why they had to let go so many so many of their pieces. And outside of maybe Stefan Diggs, who is a major piece of the offense. And I think you can see how, how Kirk Cousins has, had relied on him with him not being there. It just becomes more apparent, but on defense, you know, they're kind of sneaky pieces, they're DBs they're you know, and then some injuries as well to the line Like you can see the pieces that left. And it wasn't like any single one of them was, you know, the center of the puzzle, but you, you need to have the pieces around those playmakers. And if you don't have them, things fall apart. Certainly so. That is definitely what the Vikings are, ex- are experiencing so far this season. Um, other games around the league, some competitive games uh, included the Bills coming out on top versus the Rams, 35-32, to a heavyweight fight of sorts. Uh, the Seahawks beating the Dallas Cowboys, 38-31. to Dallas falling to 1-2 and with a tie uh, with the Washington football team for the lead in the NFC East. And the Kansas City Chiefs topping the Baltimore Ravens 34-20 to for AFC Conference Supremacy. Out of these three games, uh, anything stand out to you, Sarah? You know, what really just stands out to me is how the NFC East can have two wins among the whole conference. And then you look down to somewhere like the NFC West that has nine wins among the four teams. And we're only three weeks in. Um you know, it just, it's interesting how how the cookie crumbles. Yeah, certainly. Uh, there's definitely parity in football where any team can win any game, but there's definitely different tiers of divisions throughout the league. Um, and then one last game to mention before we get to our favorite segment of the week is the Cincinnati Bengals and the Philadelphia Eagles. Talk about a competitive game. Competing to lose. Yeah, they competed to lose and neither of them succeeded. Uh, That basically means it was a tie game. Uh, 23 to 23, uh, I believe out of the overtime period there, there were six punts. Uh, Just a complete almost dumpster fire of the week type performance we we could have talked about it as a dumpster fire um however this is 2020 and when you could talk about a tie where no one really tried or appeared to try or maybe they were all tired who knows that definitely would normally qualify as a dumpster fire but not in 2020 we have so much in store for you let (laughs) us begin exactly and like any Jeopardy question 10, 20 years from now, if they say the year 2020, just guess the answer is COVID. Uh, and that's our dumpster fire of the week. COVID took it. Um, so we have our first pop-up in the NFL of players and staff contracting COVID, which is the first real test of the, the league's protocols and how they're handling COVID cases. Uh, and this came out of the Tennessee Titans versus the Minnesota Vikings. Uh, the Tennessee Titans uh, won that game 31-30. to uh, The Vikings were up at one point 24-12 and let the Titans come back to get that 31-30 to win. So in some respects, blowing double-digit lead, already a dumpster fire. Um, Kirk Cousins threw another two interceptions. However, it was learned that and the storyline coming into the game was one of the staff of the team got held back for COVID-like symptoms. But the team still went on to play. Uh, it turns out that person did have COVID. 
uh, and then in the subsequent tests uh, after its symptoms started presenting after the game, there were four players and I believe five other staff members who tested positive for COVID of the Tennessee Titans. Um, it's, it's a dumpster fire because, you know, it's COVID and it sucks and the NFL scurrying to figure out when to schedule the game exactly. And, and this was a situation where, like, this is why they do so much testing and are shutting things down. Uh, both the Titans and the Vikings shut down their facilities this week um, and are working from home like the rest of us. Um, but the Doing, thing of it is, yep. all of the staff, all of the players who have tested positive were not showing, system, showing symptoms at the time they were tested. Um, it just goes to show when you're young and you're healthy – it can be hard to detect, especially initially, um, that you even have this. And so you're spreading it unknowingly to your teammates, potentially to the other team. And, and without isolating these two organizations, you know, you would have it spreading throughout the entire league. Exactly. And uh, the silver lining on this dumpster fire really is the fact that it was only Titans players and personnel who tested positive for COVID after they found out there was this mini outbreak. Um, it's really interesting to kind of read up about the technologies the NFL is using uh, to sort of track COVID. Um, all players and staff wear something in their uniform and wristband that if you get too close to people, it may buzz uh, to remind you kindly <laughs> to step away, step away, maybe keep proper distance. Um, but the nice thing about this as well is these pieces of technology also tracks who you're closest to. So the players who played on Sunday uh, and exposed other players, you can tell where that web actually spread out of each of these positive cases. And you could test all the Vikings players that were in close contact with these positive cases. And luckily, the Vikings didn't have any cases popped up and they're still on schedule to play on Sunday. Yeah, it, um, it really just serves to underscore the... And I think the NFL really is taking this seriously because you've seen how they've you know, jumped this week to make the move from not only finding um, personnel and coaches on the sideline for not wearing masks, but now threatening suspensions for coaches for not appropriately wearing masks. And I know there were multiple times during the Packard New Orleans game where Sean Payton wasn't wearing his mask correctly. Other, other coaches weren't wearing their mask correctly. Some adjusted, some didn't. Um, and it really takes everyone. And if, if you know, not everyone is on board, this isn't going to work. And we're going to, you know, we'll, we'll end up back in, back in springtime where we have nothing. And exactly. that would be tragic. That would be tragic. But so far, the protocols seem to be working and folks are taking it seriously. Um, and then for the Titans, the biggest ramification for them is that their game is looking like it is going to be pushed to either Monday night or Tuesday night instead of Sunday. Um, so that could be an issue. And then also it's interesting when they were talking about if, if folks do have to cancel games, uh, it could result in other teams not even related to these two teams that got exposed get their schedules rearranged to match up by weeks and adjust appropriately. Um, so who knows? Something to keep in mind as we go forward uh, and deal with the dumpster fire that is 2020 and the dumpster fire that is COVID-19. And really, it's amazing that it took three weeks to even have the first cases. Um, I think that's a, you know, we knew it was going to happen. It was a matter of when, not if. And now we know. Week three. There you go. Week three. About a quarter of the way in. Um, all right. So let's transition to our underrated moment of the week. And... You probably have not heard this story. Which, well, which makes it an underrated moment of the week. Um, mostly because what it's based on got deleted. However... It, even if it is not true, it is highly suspicious that no one is talking about it. Exactly. And psych, it is also a dumpster fire of the week. Um, so, Sarah, you want to talk a little bit about uh, what this underrated moment of the week is? Yeah, Bleacher Report uh, reported on, I believe it was Tuesday, yesterday. Um, we are recording Wednesday evening. 
um, that uh, Katie Sower is. She is an uh, offensive assistant coach for the 49ers. She's one of the first women coaches in the NFL. She's also um, uh, an openly gay coach and was the, the first woman and openly gay coach to be Super Bowl bound. And so she she has, you know, really beaten the odds, broken the glass ceiling for a lot of people. And, and um, you know, as part, part of this incoming wave of women coaches into the NFL, which is really exciting um, for, for, I think, for, you know, the importance of having diversity of thought, diversity of perspectives, diversity of styles um, that is going to make the NFL better. And um, apparently there was a conversation between her and her sister and her sister had a post that's now been deleted on, I believe it was Instagram, um, complaining on her sister's behalf about how Katie, all the, all the 49er coaches got to sit in fir the first class seats on the flight back from their game this, from New York after they've been out there for two weeks, except Katie, who got put in the rear with everyone else. Um, even if this, the post was later deleted, uh, but if this is true, it's, it's a it's a big wolf kind of moment like it it's not a good look on it is any a way terrible shape or form. look it is a terrible look that this even this idea even came into existence that this was a concept um and it does not reflect well on the 49ers it does not reflect well on the nfl and but the, katie her sister the 49ers organization have all been silent on this event. Um, something's going on. It seems fishy. It also has not gotten much, much airtime, but whoa, really not a good look and definitely flying under the radar for at least now, maybe not into the future. I mean, let's look at the Washington football team. They flew under the radar for years until this summer. <laughs> uh, certainly so. And uh, uh, this is a reminder, uh, even if something like this was done in accident, you got to be cognizant about some of this kind of stuff. So um, keep an eye on it. Uh, it's an underrated story of the week for sure. Um, and we got to talk about all aspects of the NFL, just not what happens between the hashes as well. So Yeah, and it's, you know, it's this dynamic in the NFL that, um, you know, there's a lot of issues with representation in the NFL. And... Uh, we usually focus on race and we usually focus on um, those dynamics at the coaching level versus the playing level. Um, but there's also this dynamic of gender um, and sexuality and neither of those get the airtime that race does. Um, I think for lots of different reasons, but um, they're equally as important as, as the race dynamic. Um, even if we don't talk, they don't get a ton of airtime. Yep. Definitely. So well put. Um, all right, so that concludes our rundown of the NFL for the week. And now we're going to transition into talking about what was a really good primetime matchup for the Packers versus the Saints. This was the game that you dream about having in primetime. You have two historic franchises with elite quarterbacks playing. I mean, I think this... Saints could say maybe not at their greatest, but playing at a high level. Both teams are playing at a high level. Um, the Packers' offense probably, arguably, its best level we've seen in quite some time. Um, and a high-scoring game. That's yeah. quick, quick, quick plays, big plays. Um, it wasn't, you know, that grinded out. It was the you said you got the splash plays. You got the on both offense and defense, and you got you know the tackles for loss. Um, you got a few sacks, you got a couple, you got a, um, some fumbles, like it had all the things that you want, um, except fans, except fans. Uh, so yeah, where, where do you want to start out with this game? Do you want to start out talking about the Packers offense or the Packers defense? Uh, let's start with offense. And I really, really, there are two things that I think are really important here. Um, one is Alan Lazard. He had an incredible game, got his first game ball since, since college, um, a college bowl game. And he, we knew, and the Packers organization knew why he was in the league and why he was on this roster. 
and why he plays a role in such a way that did not force the Packers into drafting a receiver early this year, even though everyone else thought they needed to. Um, but this game really showed the NFL why. And he had an incredible stat line. Let's see here. He, he had a total of six receptions for 146 yards uh, and also got a touchdown. And then he had two explosive plays, one for over 40 yards and then one for a long of 72, which is the longest catch of his career. And before that long catch of 72, that 46, 48-yard play before that was his longest catch up to that point. So he broke his own personal record twice in one game. He also drew an incredibly important P.I. call in the end zone on a free play at the towards the end of the fourth quarter to give the Packers the ball on the one-yard line and, and set them up to score what would be a decisive touchdown at the very end. Yeah, and I and it his amazing game with catches. He's he's definitely come up in clutch moments, whether it be catching third down passes or getting the big plays, which we really need, especially with um, Devontae's game uh, not being in this game. And I I think it's really cool to watch his development because I see certain items of Devontae's game in Alan Lazard especially with how he has gotten much better at releases at the top of his route to create separation. And that's where you see some of these bigger plays start to develop for Lazard. Um, But I think also one of the underrated things about his performance that continues to impress is his blocking. Absolutely. Um, That was just what I was going to say is that not this week he got the stat line that people look at when it comes to receivers, but he, his blocking and ability to play the role in Matt's off- Matt LaFleur's offense of you know, creating that movement, creating that illusion that something else is going to happen is he, he sells it. He sells it and that you know, brings up opportunities for so many other players on this team. Yeah, certainly so. And in the post-game press conference, Matt LaFleur emphasized that even though the rushing game wasn't as effective as it was last week, um, Aaron Jones had 16 carries for 70 yards. The team averaged 3.8 yards per carry overall. But Lafleur emphasized that you need to stick with the run game, whether you like it or not, because it benefits with the keepers and play-action passes. And then for the second week in a row, he also emphasized that Alan Lazard's really an enforcer on the run game. And I think it kind of shows Alan Lazard's been a pivotal part of the team and in a game where maybe the rushing attack wasn't the primary thing, you saw a lot more of those keepers and play actions develop and be executed in this game. Yeah, and, and yes, the rushing game only got didn't even break 100 yards this game. It only, only ended up with 98 total yards. But the performance last week by Aaron Jones really opened up what opportunities for the rest of the offense, opportunities for the play action, for the bootleg, for... You know, even for some of these deep shots, because when they st- when these plays start, they look like run plays. Um, and then the defense has to react and adjust. And that takes time. And that split second it takes for them to react gives, you know, Lazard, gives MVS, gives the tight ends the edge they need to, to, to have a route that leaves them open. And that was one thing Aaron Rodgers commented about is just how open players are this year and it's it's because everything is going so seamlessly and and they're fooling defenses they're fooling defenses on whether it's the run or the pass they're fooling defenses on the play count and it it truly is an offense that is evolving and I think we've seen that evolution even in these three games game one was Devontae Adams like he is clearly the number one receiver on this team he is the number one threat he goes down with injury that's okay we have a rushing game Aaron Jones had a lights-out game last week. Okay, the New Orleans Saints know Devontae's out, likely likely was going to be out and then was out. They know they have to shut down Aaron Jones. So they kind of do. I mean, he still had a decent day, 16. Still averaged over four yards a carry for yep. Jones. Yep, 16 carries for 69 yards along of 19. It's That's nothing to sneeze at with a couple catches in there. That's fine. Um, and a touchdown. Um, so 
but they they contain Jones, but then what that does is it opens it up for receivers like Lazard and I, and the tight ends. I think that was the other key to this offensive performance, how the tight ends became involved in both the rushing and the passing. And, you know, we see Robert Tanyan, five catches for 50 yards and a touchdown. Jace Sternberger coming alive in the fourth quarter, three fourth quarter catches for 36 yards. Those were critical yards to keeping the drives going and, and getting the lead back from the Saints and maintaining that lead. And even Mercedes Lewis, big dog, having a somewhat contested, debatable, fair catch, but uh, a catch for a touchdown all the same for 18 yards. Um, you gotta, you gotta love this stat they put up after that. Aaron Rodgers has had two touchdown passes to first-round picks. Both to Mercedes Lewis. Both to Mercedes Lewis. Yeah, certainly. <laughs> uh, the offensive output of this team has been absolutely awesome to see in the first three weeks of the season. The Packers have scored more than 35 points in three consecutive games for the second time in team history. Uh, and the last time they did this was... In 2011, uh, the season they went 15-1, and one, uh, they did this in weeks 9-11. to 11. Um, And that was a special year, although they didn't go as far as they wanted to in the playoffs. It was an absolutely rememberable offensive performance. And then the other thing to highlight with the offense was another great game against probably the best defense they've played so far this year in protecting the quarterback and protecting the football no turnovers. Aaron Rodgers only took one sack in this game, uh, and he's only taken two sacks on the entire season. Uh, a big far cry from some seasons where we saw 20, 30, 40 sacks. Um, and it's definitely a good sign for this team moving forward. And what's so impressive about the offensive line, and thankfully there wasn't any of this in this game, but they've done this as a unit. It's not as a five five-man starting line it is as a whole unit they've had players rotate in rotate out shift around um responding to injuries and and who is who which five are the wellest <laughs> to go when it's game time um and that's just you, they there's so much talk about the continuity and the importance of continuity when it comes to five offensive linemen gelling together and really working in sync and this unit has had none of that this year and they're still gelled and working in sync and and providing the protection, providing the the blocking on on run plays, and and doing a phenomenal job across the the front five. Yeah, definitely so. Um, any last things we want to talk about on offense before we transition to the Packers defense versus the New Orleans Saints offensive attack? It is so much fun to have an offense clicking like this and being and being. Um, and winning in different in ways. In winning in different ways. Other. Winning in different ways. You know, and it's it's you know it's not even a it's not even there's still room for growth. You look at all the all the field goals they kicked and, and moments when they should have gotten in the end zone and, and and didn't on various plays. And I think that's what's almost most exciting is that there's still room for this offense to get even better. Definitely so. Um, so transitioning to the New Orleans offense versus the Packers defense. Um, and a reminder in this game, they didn't have Michael Thomas, their star wide receiver. However, that didn't matter because they had Alvin Kamara, their the uh, everything player, their everything player, their part-time running back, full-time receiver in this game. Uh, Kamara had six carries for 58 yards for a 9.7 yard average, but he also had 13 catches for 139 yards, an absolutely ridiculous ridiculous offensive output by Camara. Yeah, it was it was insane and he truly had the had moments where he, it, if they were going to win this game it was going to be on him and he certainly got them really really close. However, it and this is my big sticking point coming out of this game. Coming into this game, Drew Brees was getting criticized in the media and in the national media for really having weakened arm talent. Although Brees had a couple good longer throws in this game, his passes only traveled an average of 4.2 yards down the field in the first half. And it wasn't much better in the second half. Um, and that really was shown out throughout the entire game. 
And the defense really played too much to allowing Kamara succeed in the receiving game with playing more off-man coverage, uh, playing a lot of, uh, you know, quarters, allowing more action uh, down the field. However, what happened there is it pulled so much of their defense back that it left the second level open for Kamara to pretend to block, get out in the flat, stand there, catch the ball, turn up field, and be able to figure out how to make a guy miss. There wasn't a guy on him. And I told you during this game, I thought, I mean, Drew Brees is not mobile. Let's just have a freaking spy for Alvin Kamara the entire game. And I felt like that really could have helped and was a very clear area of defensive improvement needed. And I didn't see it in the game. No. And then the other thing that, that is an issue, and granted, Alvin Kamara is one of the best at making people miss, but were missed tackles. There were 13 missed, cap- missed tackles by by the coach's count, according to Matt LaFleur on his Monday, at his Monday afternoon press conference. And with five of them on the 52-yard touchdown play by Kamara, you know, that's how you can't do that. That's how big plays happen. That is. when you, And I think they had, if the first man would tackle would have gotten home, um, I think it would have been either like a two-yard loss or a two-yard gain. They had them. They had them where they wanted them, and it was just a matter of execution that didn't happen. Yeah, certainly so. And that and that's where I really got at with this game that bugged me of how many points the Saints scored is I would have rather seen the Packers try to force Drew Brees to throw the ball down the field, and really we just kind of let them do what they wanted to do the entire game. Uh, and they had success with it. And the... Uh, the Saints are really a high-efficiency offense. Um, Drew Brees uh, had 29 for 36 in terms of passes completed, and that really is who he is. Like He's a guy who wants to throw a lot of completions and really chip his way down the field. And I would have really loved to see more stacked boxes and really making them go for the shot plays and seeing what happens. Yeah, because it's plays like that where, you know, you have players like Jair Alexander um, begin to get opportunities. And, and a player like Jair, you know, he makes plays. Um, he did have one pass breakup, I believe, on Sunday that I counted on the final drive at kind of a critical point. And, um, almost, it was almost an interception, I believe. Almost. It was very close. Um, but I will say this about the defense. Despite the miss, you know, the missed tackles and and, you know, maybe not, you know, they did enough to win. They mm-hmm. they did force the Saints to have three punts, which the Packers only punted once. JK is, you know, this is really boding well for JK's endurance through the rest of the season if he's only punting like once a game. Yeah, certainly. Um, but, um, you know, they, they, so, you know, our defense did force three punts, which is more than what their defense did. And then most importantly, the, the defense did win both the sacks and the turnover margin. Yes. Yeah, so- and the sacks were by the same player, Kingsley yeah. Kiki. Yeah, and that was a great thing to see on the defense, especially with Kenny, Car- Kenny Clark being out for the second straight game. Um, seeing Kingsley Kiki get in there and have some production was really a good sight. Um, and then why don't you talk about the, the, the strip fumble and the ensuing celebration that took place when Zedarius Smith uh, stripped and got the Packers one and only turnover in this game. Yeah, and I would also acknowledge that Kiki caused a turnover or caused a fumble, just the Saints happened to recover it. And apparently there was one other fumble in the game that the Saints also recovered, but I have no recollection of when that occurred. I don't know. Anyway, Zedarius Smith, you know, his sack numbers may not be up there just yet. Neither are Preston's, which will be interesting, and perhaps they'll have a breakout game this week. We shall see. But he got pressure on the quarterback, got a got him to the ground, although he wasn't, you know, got the got the contact, although he wasn't credited with a sack. But more importantly, knocked the ball out of Taysom Hill's hand, and we all know Taysom Hill um, from his time with the Packers in the preseason, like three or four years ago now, um, and the beautiful thing was, is is he he got it out. Uh, Z got the ball out, was able to, to recover it, um, did brush Taysom Hill as he went to the ground to pick up the ball. So he was rolled down at the, at the point of the recovery, but he picked it up, you know, started running for the end zone and, and they blew the play dead. 
But you had to love the defensive celebration at the very end. And although Chris Collinsworth kept calling it a line dance, it was not a line dance, folks. It was a soul train. It is a thing. It is a real thing. And if Chris Collinsworth doesn't know what it is, it just, it really, it it shows how white he is. Yeah, it shows how white he is. Um, It was, it was great. And and it wasn't just the soul train, the D train soul train celebration that was awesome in front of the camera um, that they had set up at the end zone um, recording the different celebrations. The Packers had several really great celebrations. There was, uh, I think it was Aaron Jones touchdown. They all got in front of it and were, showing off their dance moves. I have to think Jamal Williams had a role in inspiring and, and, you know, getting folks um, into that mode of celebrating. But you had to love, um, just love the camaraderie and the creativity of this team to uh, really enjoy the moment when they've earned it. Yeah, certainly so. Um, And we'll transition here to maybe talk a little bit about the game overall and special teams if you want to touch on that. But one of the other things I think came made this game result in a Packers win and we discussed this on last week's preview um was the penalties for the Saints they also they had eight penalties in this game for 83 yards against them uh where the Packers only had two penalties for 10 yards um Packers have been really disciplined and Saints have shown the track record of getting some penalties caught against them uh, Aaron Rodgers continued his excellence with his hard count cadence, getting a couple of free plays in this game. And the Packers also won the time of possession battle, 32 minutes to 28 minutes, roughly. And all of those with the turnover margin, with the performance of individual players, it really does add up to a Packers win. And in a lot of respects, kind of how we thought this game would go. Yeah. And, you know, the... There are a lot of questions to ask about the officiating of this game. Uh, you know, blowing some free plays dead that we that I would have liked to see play out, calling PI in some instances and holding in others or not calling it. Um, there's a lot of questions about it, but at the end of the day, they called what they called, and it wasn't, you know, overruled by New York. Um, but their, their, their questionable calling did lead us to see our first two challenges of the season in a Packers game. The first by, by Sean Payton throwing that down, um, for the saints and then Matt LaFleur challenging a play at the very end. Um, Sean Payton won his challenge. Matt LaFleur didn't. I still think challenge Matt LaFleur's challenge was well-timed. Um, cause even if you hadn't challenged the play, um, it was a good point at which to take a timeout as the Packers were making a goal line stand and trying to get in the end zone. Yeah, certainly so. And then again, and I I think one of the other things we'll mention with special teams before we preview the Packers next game is I believe I saw some things floating around social media this week that about two years ago this time was when Mason Crosby had his uh, atrocious game against the Lions and since then, he's gone over 95% on his kicks, and he had another perfect day today with three field goals, four extra points made. Uh, and if you had him in fantasy, that's a pretty freaking good day for a kicker. Yeah, and there's just a couple more points I'd like to go back to on the defense. I think we need to mention the fact that Christian Kirksey went out with an injury yep, in the middle of this game and how Ty Summers stepped in. And missed some was, tackles. Missed some tackles. It wasn't perfect. His the Monday afternoon press conference he did. He was very hard on himself, um, which I think is a good sign. He you know was a seventh round pick out of TCU last year. He's got a lot to learn, but he also stepped into a role um, that he took took on the green dot um, in yeah. this game when Kirksey went out. Uh, he was the captain of the defense uh, for a big chunk of this game and. The team still got the job done at the end of the day. And and overall, you know, it, that transition in the game didn't impact the game, really. Um, you know, the way things were going before kind of continued the same. And the defense held in there long enough, made just enough plays to give our offense a chance. And, and giving our offense a chance right now is what this team needs to, to make it happen. Not saying that's how you're going to win every game going forward, but for right now, this is what's working. And if it's working, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Certainly so. One other thing I'd like to mention related to defense, and this is kind of an underrated story, but I'd like to give Billy Wynn a shout out. He had a pass defense. He's a, he's a, he's a D lineman. 
Um, he was a six-round pick in 2012 out of Boise State. And he hasn't been in an NFL game since 2016. Um, the Packers picked him up, put him on the practice squad. Called him up for this game. And called him up for this game with Kenny Clark being down. And, and not only did he... Provide you know, depth on that defensive line, but but made it made a key play at one point, and I it, it's it there's something to be said for an older guy coming back and making it happen, and I think that was pretty cool. Definitely, definitely. Okay, I'm done. All right, she's done. So let's get uh, into this matchup that the Packers are coming into with the Atlanta Falcons on uh, Monday Night Football. Yeah, big big uh, Monday Night Primetime game. Uh, so be aware of that. No Packers football on Sunday, which always leaves me a little bit sad. I'm always like, oh, it doesn't quite feel like a Sunday. Um, but hey, it'll make a Monday a little bit better. And um, every Monday could use that. Exactly. Uh, so the Packers are coming into this game favored by seven points. Uh, the over-under for this game is set at 57.5 total points between two teams. Uh, so think maybe like a 31-28 kind of game. Uh, the Falcons are coming in the needy spot. As we mentioned earlier in the podcast, they're coming off uh, two 15-plus point blown leads, uh, and they could be in a situation where they need to put up or shut up, really. Um, and this happened to them last year as well in some respects. They started out an abysmal 1-7 and seven, uh, and ended the season 6-2. and two. Uh, And Dan Quinn, a lot of pressure was felt last season and certainly... Uh, with the beginning of the performance this year of his team. He's a head coach that kind of has one foot in the grave and the other on a banana peel. Yeah, but the one thing is is that this team, at least last year, really loves Dan Quinn, and they have for quite some time. I mean, that was a major factor in the team's turnaround, is recognizing the situation they were in, recognizing the situation their coach was in, and wanting to keep him. And yeah. they fought for him, and, and that was a big reason that they were able to pull out six wins at the end of the season there. Yeah, that's true. And, I mean, I, I struggle with that because it's like how, how much do you really want to fight for your coach's job if the, if the performance hasn't been there in a while? Um, and it's interesting for the Falcons, too, because the Atlanta offense has really performed. Matt Ryan's had a pretty solid year. Calvin Ridley, a uh, young wide receiver, has had a breakout next to Julio Jones. Uh, and then Todd Gurley's had a little bit of a resurgence there as well. And the problem has really been for the Falcons on defense, just letting up so many points so late. They let up three touchdowns to Nick Foles coming in for the Bears in their, this past week's game. And for Dan Quinn, being a head coach who has a defensive-minded background, it, it just... It's really concerning. It's concerning. It just kind of paints a tough picture for this team. And I think that's one of the things that's kind of interesting here. Um, part of me wants to like say I feel like this game is going to be a blowout for the Packers. But the other part of me remembers like our matchups with the Falcons in the playoffs in past years. And, you know, our matchups with the Falcons have not always gone our way. Although, and they have been averaging 30 points a game, and that is nothing to sneeze at. Granted, we've been averaging 40 points a game, and we'd love to see that trend continue uh, as we go forward. But, um, you know, you can't go to sleep on this offense, and we know that our defense has given gives up the big plays. We've seen it happen multiple weeks now. Um, I think the question is, is, you know, Todd Gurley had a better week this past week. Does he continue on that trajectory or was this past week a fluke? Um, you know, and, and does their defense straighten themselves? Does the Falcons defense straighten itself out, out against what seems to be a highly, highly efficient Packers offense? I don't know. Um, I have to admit, I do like the Packers in this game. And I kind of looking at the two scores, wonder if 57, the, the two average points per game for these teams so far, I wonder if 57 isn't low. That with the Falcons having an average of 30 points per game, the Packers having an average of over 40 points per game, that's 70 points. That's a wild night. That's a, that's a little betting tip for all of those of you that live in a, a municipality that allows for that. Um, like, AKA not here. Yeah. Well, or wait, no. Yeah. Yes, we here. do. We do. That's right. District of Columbia allows sports gambling. I am not a degenerate. I do not know nothing about this. <laughs> uh, for what it's worth, I'm putting no money on the statements I just said. That's fair. Um, yeah, but it, I, 
I think it'll be interesting for the Packers from a defensive perspective in this game. I have a feeling that this game, one way or another, might have a little bit more turnover action. Um, the main reason I feel this, I think the Packers' DBs will probably get one or two interceptions, um, mostly because I view the Atlanta Falcons a little bit juxtaposed against the Saints, who we just saw. The Saints having a lot more running attack and a lot more short passes. I do view the Falcons as an offense a little bit more similar to ours in terms of uh, running a little bit of play action, but also just looking for those those deeper shots down the field to the likes of Calvin Ridley and Julio Jones. But with that as well, I mean, we also should probably talk a little bit about injuries for this game. Uh, This is another one of those games for both sides that there's a bit of uh, injury in the wide receiver front. Uh, Julio Jones is uh, working to come back from a little bit of an injury Uh, doing a lot of that limited-type practice work of running on the sidelines and things like that. Uh, Devontae Adams for the Packers is back at practice. Um, However, uh, it's interesting, Alan Lazard's actually getting some scans for a core muscle injury, Um, and obviously not a good sign when he just came off of such an outstanding performance against the Saints. Yeah, it is really sad to hear that news. Um, plus, we, we um, had Rashawn Gary and Christian Kirksey go out during the game, and so there's some questions there. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, this unlike last year, this team is you know dealing with injuries on on different levels in a way that we haven't. Um, I can say that you know after last year, we've seen the Packers overcome a lot. Uh, just last year, it wasn't the injury bug, and I guess you know this is kind of biting a bit, biting us a bit early this year. Yeah, definitely so. Um, so what are your overall thoughts on how this game will probably go? Oh, I think this is going to be a high-scoring shootout. I think it's going to be, be more dramatic in the scoring realm than, than even Sunday night was. Um, I think this. I think the Falcons are probably going to jump out to a lead. They seem to have a knack for starting hot. I think as long as the Packers hang with them, uh, they seem to not be able to keep it for four quarters. And so when they fall apart, That'll be their opportunity, and I think the Packers are going to win. I also think it's going to go way over that 57-point threshold. Um, I'm kind of seeing the Packers come away with something along the lines of maybe 40-41 to to 35. Yeah, I certainly kind of have a similar view of the game. I I do think there's probably going to be more uh, pressure opportunities for the Packers' pass rushers and more opportunities for them. Uh, to get maybe some turnovers off of those pressures uh, and really take advantage of the game on the defensive side of the ball. However, I do think, I mean, I've watched the Packers. It's still this Packers team where they give up yards, they give up touchdowns, and they're hoping to kind of win with some of their uh, ability to get turnovers and sacks on top of that. Um, I will say I also think uh, this is a team for the Falcons that uh, has had some penalties overall in their games. Uh, They've had throughout three games so far this year, uh, 21 penalties for about 200 yards. Um, So that, I think, is a stat where the Packers have a little bit of an edge. I've actually found this Packers team to be fairly disciplined. They've only had 16 penalties so far for about 125, 130 yards for the Packers. Um, So I think that could be another area where the Packers have a slight edge in this game. You know, and I think another thing, if the Packers can keep winning the time of possession, you have to like their chances. You have to like the way the Packer offense keeps the ball, stays on the field, at least for lengthy chunks of time. And if they can keep doing that, it's, it's that's a good recipe for for stacking the deck in your favor for the w that's fair uh all right so last things for this game uh do you have a player of the game or a score prediction you want to throw out there well i already threw my score prediction out there 41 35 we're gonna go with that um but the player i'm gonna keep my eye on in this game i think is preston smith he's been very quiet this year so far um we haven't seen too much from him i think he did get played for a penalty at one point earlier in the season um, he's had a few tackles and a few plays, but no sacks. And I think this week he's going to he's gonna turn that around. I think he's hungry. That's fair. Uh, I think I'll take for the player of the game this week to be Aaron Rodgers. Uh, <laughs> oh, yeah. that, uh, I feel like you just 
just take the easy route. Yeah, I'm taking the easy route. Uh, but I think I, I think we've seen awesome performances from him. He he's had great games. However, it's interesting with other quarterbacks around the league. I think because uh, we've had a lot of talk maybe about Russell Wilson. Uh, scoring, I think it's 14 touchdowns through the first three games, and only a, a handful of other quarterbacks have done so uh, in the history of the sport. Um, and I think you obviously have other attention on Lamar Jackson and Patrick Mahomes uh, with just their dominance in the NFL. Um, I think this is one of those games where we'll get some of those uh, amazing reminder throws of why Aaron Rodgers has been the best quarterback of the past decade uh, and we'll get a performance that's something like 300 pushing 400 yards and four touchdowns five touchdowns so that's that's my view for this game uh, and with that I view Devonte Adams getting back in the fold with a touchdown or two MVS getting a touchdown and I'll do the prediction of uh Josiah DeGuara will come back from injury and get a touchdown as well. So there you go. Put some other fun things on top of it since I picked Aaron Rodgers as my player of the game. Um, Okay. Any last things you want to say about this? You know what? There's something to be said about Monday Night Football. It's it's a good time. Um, You know, instead of Monday morning being rough, Tuesday morning is going to be rough. But I think we can all all handle that, especially if the Packers can, can give us another W. Wonderful. All right, so I have one last thing. We'll uh, end it with our last words of uh, the podcast episode. And my last words for this week is a hearty congratulations to Patrick Mahomes. Uh, Partially because Patrick Mahomes is great. He won a Super Bowl. He's the half-billion dollar man. He's a half-billion dollar man. He got engaged to his high school sweetheart. Um, And his high school sweetheart recently posted on the social medias that uh, they're going to have a little detour before their wedding because she's pregnant with their first child. So congratulations. He's just winning at life and uh, putting all of us to shame. You know what? That's okay. Very much so. Any last words for the people, Sarah? You know, go, pack, go. And with that, that'll be the end of our episode here. Uh, Join us next week where we hopefully will be breaking down another Packers win and go Pack Go.